6: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the authors and participants and do not necessarily represent those of iHeartMedia, Tenderfoot TV, or their employees. This series contains discussions of violence and sexual violence. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Algorithm Journalist Thomas Hargrove warned police in northwest Indiana that they might have a serial killer on the loose.
2: Starting in the 1990s, We've seen several women who were found strangled in or near abandoned buildings.
6: And four years later, after the murder of Africa Hardy, police arrested Darren Vaughn and Detective Sean Ford began interrogating him.
7: In your own words, what would you say has brought you here today? Why do you think you were arrested? Well, say i murdered.
6: Vaughn confessed to strangling Africa Hardy, and he told Ford and Captain Hinahosa that he had killed many more.
7: How many people are you responsible for killing? I couldn't in even this, tell you. In this, life. this lifetime, I couldn't even tell you.
6: Vaughn took police to the body of one of his victims to provide evidence for his murders, but he wanted to make a deal.
7: What are you trying to get out of this? Come on, put a before my birthday.
6: From iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV, this is Algorithm. I'm Ben Kiebrick. At 1 a.m. on Sunday, October 19th, 2014, Vaughn had just led investigators to the body of Anneth Jones. And just as Vaughn had described, they'd found her buried under a pile of stuffed animals in the basement of an abandoned building. It appeared that Vaughn was a serial killer. And his M.O. was the same one that Hargrove's algorithm had identified— a killer strangling women in Gary. But how many murders was he responsible for? And were any of them on Hargrove's list? After police found Aneth Jones' body, they knew the investigation was going to get big, and they wanted to keep Vaughn cooperating as long as they could. Detectives Sean Ford and Kelly Mickey convinced Vaughn to take them to another body, and Vaughn guided them 10 minutes north to a boarded-up building on 19th Avenue. Eerily, it was next door to a house that had a banner advertising Miss Dee Dee's Hugs and Kisses Daycare. Here, Vaughn told detectives they'd find another body, lying in the garage, covered in plywood. He warned them to announce their presence before entering the building in case someone was quote, using the house. And once again, detectives found the body just where Vaughn said it would be, in the building's garage under a pile of plywood boards. This victim, later identified as Tiara Beatty, appeared to have been dead for months. She was wearing a sweatshirt and jeans and her body looked sunken in because her flesh had putrefied inside her clothes. Detective Mickey tried to keep Vaughn talking while she recorded on her cell phone. The audio quality is rough, but you can hear Detective Ford returning to the car and asking Vaughn to take them to one more body.
7: Hey, me from Jag-Off. I have a partner I work with on a regular basis, and he dreams of stuff like this.
6: He asked Vaughn to do it as a favor for his co-worker.
7: He just got into town. It, do you have another one? I know it's dumb to ask. It seems ridiculous.
4: You're going to take us to another one, though, right?
7: I won't plan on it tonight. I will trying to whole I here. get your prosecutor's
4: attention. Well, I, let me tell you this. Do one more. You, do, you do one more no, and you'll definitely you know, have a prosecutor's attention. See the body is going to be where it's supposed to be.
6: Vaughn said he'd been back to the site where he'd left this body, and that he thought a worker that was demolishing abandoned buildings in the area might have come across this victim. So Ford called the Gary Police Department to ask them if they'd found any bodies in the area Vaughn was describing. Is this
4: a girl?
7: Yeah, this is a girl.
4: They're all girls, right? They're all the
7: guys I can't give you. Okay. All the guys are jobs. All right. I can't give you because y'all will probably figure out if I gave you guys who hired me. Okay.
4: You know what? I, I At this point, I don't think anybody's interested in the hiring.
7: Well, yeah, much. trust me. They would be interested. Cause I know one of them has FBI ramifications. Believe me, the feds would be very interested. Cause mm. They would want to know how we got to one of their federal federal witness? I don't know if he's a federal witness or a fed. He might be a cop.
4: You think he was an undercover cop?
7: Yeah, I think he's an undercover cop. You killed him? Yeah. And then there's more than one person involved, so I can't give you that file. So how many women do you think are throughout the area over here? Me or that yeah, I or know you? personally? You, either or. Okay, that I know personally, maybe 32, me, maybe 12, 13, 13 and that's here. And none of them have been found? No, mine don't get found. Oh, I don't know. Some of these bodies should have been found. Mm -hmm. In fact, I know Gary found three, but since there's no DNA, no sex, none of that, they'll never know who killed that person.
6: (laughs) To recap... Vaughn was now claiming he was responsible for killing 13 women in Gary in just the last year. Ford returns to the car and says Gary hadn't found any bodies recently in the area Vaughn had mentioned.
7: Did they say they found it? just had not heard of anything like that. Either. Well, at least we're not far from Alright, let's go take a look. Now you're going to Broadway.
6: As they drive to the next crime scene, it's hard to tell if Ford is trying to ply Vaughn for information or if he's just making small talk.
7: Do no. you got any good drug robbery guys in the streets? They be my specialty. They don't have that specialty really no more. No, and it's the best one. I know. They don't report it. Of course they don't. That's why it's the best crime.
6: Maybe he is just making conversation, figuring it'll pay dividends later in the investigation.
7: Now I don't. I want to be putting all this in your head, but <laughs> I've already done it. I know
6: you can't tell me. I've
7: been to all of Florida and Texas. That's how I got. to Man, Florida—that's where it really originated Texas. from. It jumped off big down there. California. That's why I say I only can give you stuff to Indiana or we'll be tied up for a long time. No, nah, you take me on vacation, man. No, because <laughs> <laughs> you are be trying to stop my rest. Me, me and you will be we yeah, some some my ties.
4: So what is the worst part about like when you kill somebody? Like you're like that ain't no worst part. No, but I mean like like you said you were moving that one girl down in the basement and like she started leaking. What is it that you're like, God bless it? She leaked.
7: Once I take them away from the murder site, I really don't care if they leak because you're not going to find no evidence Uh on the murder site. You see what I'm saying?
4: Oh, yeah. I, I hear you 100%. So is that why you move them? Right. And how long did it take you before you started moving
7: them? I always move them. I was taught to move
4: them. Oh, really? Right. And at what age did somebody start teaching you? I was the
7: first person I shot. was nine.
4: Oh, you didn't do that alone?
7: No. Somebody had to teach me. You know,
4: you don't... Well, I didn't know if it was like, you know, something happened. You know no, what I mean? it didn't just happen.
6: They arrive at a third abandoned house. This one was a two-story building. At the top of the stairs, in a closet, Police found another body, and this time, the body was skeletal.
7: Yeah,
4: her bones are showing, her skull is showing.
7: That's what I'm saying some of the other ones I couldn't even bring you to because y'all wouldn't even be able to tell how they were killed or nothing because they should be really decomposed
4: by now. Yeah, but at least their families could have some peace, right?
7: But, see, I got to take you to the ones I know, like, like i like to say my mistakes. I'm taking y'all to mama's These are all mama's mistakes. These people weren't supposed to be killed. Okay. I mean, these other people that I, I call in and they were really exist in the wrong spot at the wrong time. So how many,
4: just between me and you, how many people do you think you've killed in
7: your whole life? Well, in my life.
4: Yeah, do you keep track?
7: No, because I, I know, I know I was upset when I found out there was a guy in Mexico that killed over 500 people. That upset me.
4: Because you haven't, or? Because I haven't. Oh, so you wanted to kill 500, huh? No, I didn't want to
7: kill 500. I was just used to being in Gary. I was known at one time as the best that was in Gary. Uh-huh. And then when you get to looking at history, you, you start to read that how I read murder and stuff. Is people have done a whole lot more murders than me.
4: So how many you think? Total? Yeah.
7: I'm under 100. I know that. Under a hundred since you were nine? I might be over a hundred now. I've had a busy year this year. Yeah, what, thirteen this year? No, I have way more than thirteen this year. Oh, I've I'm had you. Three a month. Three
4: a month? Out,
7: yeah. Wow.
6: At first, when I heard Vaughn's claim of three murders a month, I thought Vaughn was again contradicting himself. Because earlier, he said he'd only killed 13 women in Gary that year. But then I remembered he also said he'd killed men as well, and people out of state. So he's not necessarily being inconsistent here. Still, there's something about his tone that makes me think he's embellishing his story. The investigation was just beginning though. The next day, officers continued their interrogation, and the next night, Vaughn led them to even more victims. On October 20th, two days after Vaughn's arrest and the discovery of bodies in abandoned homes, two press conferences were held.
3: My name is Karen Freeman Wilson. I'm mayor of the city of Gary, Indiana. Uh, We are here to discuss the apprehension of a suspect who is in the custody of the Hammond Police Department. This initially started with a murder in the city of Hammond at Motel 6. The Hammond Police Department began an investigation which led them to a suspect. They began questioning him and learned uh, that there were additional victims, and uh, he led them to the bodies of those victims. Has there
0: been any indication at all how many victims may be out there?
3: At this point, we are unsure of the number. As of last night, he was continuing to lead police to the bodies of victims.
0: Has he made any statements that they're all here in Gary? Or, I mean, I know the one within Hammond, but...
3: We believe there may be people uh, in other parts of Northwest Indiana. Can you
0: be a little bit more specific, correct?
3: No. The
6: second press conference was held by the Hammond police chief. Good
2: afternoon. As a result of our investigation, it is believed that the suspect is a registered sex offender in the state of Texas, a 43-year-old resident of Gary by the name of Darren Van. The Investigations of at least six are ongoing. It is possible that uh, investigation will lead to more victims. So we have to be careful about what we say at this point. So I'll take at least a couple. Chief,
8: you an idea of the span of time we're dealing with for these homicides.
2: It could go back as far as 20 years based on some statements we have, and that's yet to
6: be corroborated. Hammond police had found exactly what Hargrove described in his letter, a serial killer strangling women in Gary, crimes going back to the 90s, and women's bodies left in abandoned buildings.
2: A television production company called me, and they said, had you heard about Gary? And I said, what? And they told me all about the arrest of Mr. Van. He said he'd been active going back to the 90s and took them to the scenes of abandoned buildings in Gary, Indiana, where they recovered six previously unknown murder victims. So something I think about sometimes is, was there something I could have done better? Because they weren't even looking. And seven women died after 2010. I at least knew that there was a serial killer active in Gary.
6: Eventually, Vaughn was charged with murdering seven women. Anneth Jones, Christine Williams, Sonia Billingsley, Tanya Gatlin, Tracy Martin, Tiara Beatty, and Africa Hardy. But none of these seven victims were on Hargrove's list. Hargrove had generated his list back in 2010, and the seven murders that Vaughn had confessed to weren't cold cases. They were all recent murders committed in the last year. Some of the victims hadn't even been reported missing. This was one of the aspects of the case that confused me when I first learned about it. Vaughn had only been charged for these recent murders, but according to the press conference held shortly after Vaughn's arrest, Vaughn had alluded to crimes going back 20 years. And also, in a since-deleted Facebook post, Hammond's mayor wrote that Vaughn had admitted to, quote, a couple of homicides in Hammond back in 94 and 95. Based on those statements, Hargrove became convinced that Vaughn is responsible for at least some of the murders his algorithm identified. How convinced are you that this is the work of Van or another serial killer, and, and kind of what, what makes you think that?
2: Well, first of all, that's what he told Hammond police, that he had been active going back to the mid-90s. And I would take him at his word that he was responsible for some of these women who were found in abandoned buildings. I think that's his M.O. But I don't have proof.
6: When I started researching the case and speaking to Hargrove, only a tiny trickle of information had leaked out about Vaughn's crimes. To try to avoid biasing a jury, the judge put a gag order on the case, preventing the lawyers involved, law enforcement, or politicians from discussing it publicly and the trial faced delay after delay. So for years, no one in the public, not even Hargrove, knew the extent of Vaughn's crimes, or even what exactly Vaughn had confessed to. Vaughn pled guilty to the seven murders in 2018, but in a highly unusual move, the judge kept the gag order in place after the trial ended, even though Vaughn didn't seem interested in appealing the case. I'd never heard of this happening before, and I began to wonder if there was more to the story. Something Lake County was trying to cover up, but I also didn't want to jump to conclusions. Yeah, it's interesting. So yeah, there there's a couple statements in this press conference with the police chief where it alludes to crimes that could go back as far as 20 years. Then they kind of put a a gag order during the trial that then justified not releasing information about his confession, even though the case is now closed. So I'm still kind of in the, in the process of trying to get some of that information. But, uh, you know, it, it, it almost feels like maybe they did find some stuff and want to just sweep it under the rug.
2: I think that they were very paranoid about making a reversible error. Hmm. I couldn't tell you more than that. I, I really don't know.
6: What does that mean, fear of reversible error, that maybe the, something about the way that confession was obtained
2: would be improper? Yeah, or um, speculation that he's responsible for other murders beyond the seven for which he was convicted. I don't know. I, I don't understand. What, do you have any theories as to why no attempt has been made to link Van to any of these other murders? At least not to my knowledge.
6: My working theory is because you warned them about it, and if it came out that indeed, he was responsible for them, that that could so look really bad. So it's politically embarrassing. That, I mean, that's that's kind of just what's in my head, but I have no idea how people actually make these kinds of decisions. Yeah. No. That was the conversation I had with Hargrove before I got my hands on Vaughn's confessions. So after Hammond sent me the interrogations and police reports, I started combing through the hours of audio and hundreds of pages of documents. I was looking for any evidence that Vaughn might be responsible for the crimes on Hargrove's list. But also, as I read and listened, I was trying to figure out whether Vaughn's confessions were even credible.
1: start having sex and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
8: Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done ...that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: The Hammond Police Department has sent me 12 hours of Darren Vaughn's recorded confessions as well as dozens of interviews with Vaughn's relatives and the friends and family of Vaughn's victims. As I listened through them, I was especially curious to find out what the Hammond mayor had been referring to when he said Vaughn had confessed to, quote, a couple of homicides in Hammond in 94 and 95. But I also wanted to know how much I should trust Vaughn in the first place and as I kept listening through his interrogation, some of his claims just sounded bizarre or grandiose. To try to put Vaughn's story into context, I went back and re-listened to an interview I'd done a couple months earlier.
9: We created Darren. Darren, at age six, was taken from his mother, put in even a worse situation.
6: This is Goiko Kosic, one of the public defenders who was assigned to Vaughn's case. And Ben, my name is pronounced Goiko Kosic. It's like crotch itch, but it's cottage. (laughs) Um, When I got your email, you know, you told me that the gag order was still in place. So I'm curious, kind of like, what can you talk about? What can't you talk about?
9: Well, I think specifically, I can certainly talk about anything that's in the public record. And I can also probably just kind of generically tell you a little bit about Darren's background without getting into too many specifics.
6: To say the least, cottage doesn't mince words. You have
9: to understand, Darren Van was the product of his 14-year-old mother being raped by the landlord.
6: Cossage said that when Vaughn's mother gave birth to him in 1971, she was just 14 years old.
9: She had three more daughters after that in very short order. So this, this woman who was completely unequipped to probably have a pet had four children.
6: When Vaughn was six, the Department of Family and Children put him into foster care.
9: For a good five, six years, he was passed around through foster homes. Almost in every foster home, he was mistreated. And then in 82, he got placed at Thelma Marshall.
6: The Thelma Marshall Children's Home was a residential institution for foster kids.
9: They had, uh, I think it was 16 boys, 16 girls. Eight of the boys were small, eight of the girls were small, eight of the boys were teenagers, eight of the girls were teenagers. They would go to neighborhood schools, they would just stay at the home. There was a basketball court there, and he had stuff down in the basement as far as a ping-pong table and a pool table. And the bedrooms were upstairs, and the kitchen was upstairs.
6: According to Vaughn, things might have looked fine if you visited during the day, but after dark... It turned into a nightmare.
9: The adults would leave at five o'clock. And at night, they would be left with the counselors who were 20, 21. And they would go down in this hell hole of a basement, and they would have gladiator games, where they would have the kids square off and have to fight each other. Darren told us when he was being disciplined, they would put him in a completely dark room with a dog. And he would have to climb on the pool table and be up on the pool table pretty much all night long with his dog running around the outside of the pool table barking at him to get at him.
6: When Vaughn described his childhood to Detective Ford, he didn't mention the years he'd spent living with the foster families at all. But Vaughn said his time at the Thelma Marshall home was formative.
7: Where did you live as a kid? that you remember besides the boys home prior that's to it. that? That's all that you know? That's all I remember. Uh, somebody had to tell me family history when I came home because I didn't like nobody then. Okay. I was hitting people with objects, so they had to come up with some reason for... So okay, so you were you were violent even as a, a young, young kid. I had to is be that what violent, you're saying? Right, I had to be violent. So Y'all put the, me in an environment where I had to be violent, so... <laughs> okay, so... Due to this, is that why you were originally taken? No, I was I was a kid. I had no violent streak in me as a young, young kid. But when you go to the homes, you deal with people that's in there for criminal activity. What year do games. you think you got, or how old do you think you are when you went to the homes? I can't even tell you. That's the only place I remember as being home. Like when I get depressed, I go there. I sit outside of it. Really, still today? Because it's my home. It's the only home I've ever known. That's insane. Well, where are you going with this? To your home. I, I understand what you're saying, but, like, it's, it's, a... it's where I was made.
6: Vaughn said that shortly after coming to Thelma Marshall, one of the teenagers at the home started targeting him.
7: What what did he do to mess with you? Uh-huh. He's trying to turn me into a girl. Okay, so he was actually a predator. He's trying to to break well, you. Well, we in. don't really call them predators. Y'all call them predators. We don't call them predators. What would you call him? He's just what he is. That's why I tell everybody, everybody is what they is. Everybody has some kind of missing thing.
6: But Vaughn says one of the other kids, an 18 year old who went by Big E, found out about the teen that was messing with Vaughn.
7: One of the older kids, that's older than me, go tell Big E and his homie to jump him and all. I remember his came missing. So they jumped him in the home? Yeah. Oh, we always had jumping going on. There was always something going on in the home. And then he he came up missing later? Right. I don't know if he was ever found. When you say he's missing, I mean, was he killed? Yeah, oh yeah, he was killed. It was coming. It was coming.
6: Vaughn says that Big E was a gangster disciple, a GD, a member of the nationwide gang that had its nerve center in nearby Chicago. And after saving Vaughn, Big E recruited him to join the gang. I remember Drew
7: Elementary School, Big E sent a message like, make sure you look after because you're always going to be going somewhere, doing something for somebody. He might be the best guy I ever known. Really? Best guy. How come? He had one of the best codes of honor. I've never seen him break a GD rule. He's a really good guy. As long as you didn't fuck around where he believed in, you was perfectly safe. Well I remember he was a star on the Roosevelt basketball squad, but he quit. He got some kind of trouble. No kidding.
6: Joining the gangster disciples was a multi step process. The first step, getting jumped in, meant getting beat up by the other members of the gang. And I got jumped
7: in at Drew Elementary School. you ever remember your jump inspiration. for ages? Yeah. Real busted, arm messed up. I remember all that, yeah.
6: Vaughn says that before long, he was spending more time with the gang than he did in school. And as new recruits got further initiated into the gang, they would be asked to commit crimes, crimes that grew more and more violent. Now, you
7: said when you first became a GD, that's a. You had an incident where you killed the first person that you ever killed? Right. And what made you kill him? That's part of my. Getting blessed in Chicago. What's it mean to be blessed? You put on the books. You can always call for or get support if you need it. You're kind of like an official or... Official or member. member. You're an official member. If you're not on books, you're not really a member. You're just saying you a GE. Mm-hmm. Did you kill somebody specific? To, to get blessed in. I'm not sure who they told me to kill. I really don't know who it was, didn't care, so they just gave me an assignment. Right.
6: But it wasn't enough for a recruit just to kill someone. It was also how they acted after they'd done the deed. Vaughn brought this up with Officer Mickey the night he was arrested. Now,
4: do the kids ever not want to do it?
6: have a choice
4: so like when the kids do it for the first time do they flip out like do you comfort them or if
7: you break down too much you're getting rid of
4: like killed
7: yeah that's always been a gang thing they can't take no chances of you
4: spilling the beans
7: spilling the beans for some kids y'all think are like random murders they're not random murder they did something and they couldn't live with it and started talking and so they had to get,
6: get rid of The gang that Vaughn's been talking about, the Gangster Disciples, or GDs, was formed in Chicago in 1974. The Gangster Disciples were founded by Larry Hoover. At the time, he was serving a life sentence in an Illinois prison for murder. But using coded messages, he ran the gang's drug dealing and prostitution rackets from behind bars for decades. Hoover created what he called the 16 rules of proper behavior for the Disciples. These rules included silence about gang business. They'd say, nothing will hurt the duck but its own bill. Other rules prohibited homosexual rape, using addictive drugs, and stealing from other gangster disciples. These 16 rules were to be followed strictly. If rules were violated, gang leaders would order punishments to be dealt out by gang enforcers. The punishments could range from beatings to death. Vaughn says he was taught how to kill by the gang and became one of the gang's enforcers. Vaughn's lawyer, Kossich, says that as a public defender in Lake County, Indiana, he's had many clients in gangs.
9: You can't even imagine, imagine what they went through in their lives. You know, you you can go ahead and talk about all these gang mangers and all these shootings, and until you, you really break it down, you know, these kids are, eight, nine, ten years old and they live in these neighborhoods where they're getting harassed and either they're going to keep getting picked on and keep getting beat up or they're going to join a gang. And they grow into these gangs and these gangs become their only family and they do what they're told. What never ceases to amaze me, you know, they give you the Latin King manifesto or the gangster disciple rules or whatever the hell they have and like the first page. First page says, I will never cooperate with the police. I will never give evidence to the police or statements to the police that may implicate a brother. But the sons of bitches on the very top, when they get busted, within 48 hours, they are singing like the loudest damn canaries you've ever heard to save their asses. They're telling them about murders they ordered, who did them to save their asses. And the guys on the bottom never figure that out. Never figure out that they're gonna get sold out by the guys on the top.
6: Vaughn's lawyers wanted more information about Vaughn's early life and gang involvement. So they tried to find out more information about Big E. It was challenging though, because Vaughn didn't know Big E's real name.
9: We really, really wanted to track him down. We thought at one time it was someone who played basketball at uh, one of the local high schools there and he was on on the bench on one of the state championship teams, but that ended up falling by the wayside. It wasn't him. We never could could find him.
6: The police were also interested in finding Big E to verify Vaughn's story and to investigate the early murders Vaughn had mentioned. They asked Vaughn's half-brother Reginald about it. Reginald knew Big E by a slightly different name.
7: Okay. His friend, Big Mike, talk about him and Big Mike grew up in the home together. Him and Big Mike did this, him and Big Mike did that. But nobody in my family knows Big Mike. Nobody's ever seen Big Mike. You know what I'm saying? Come on now, it's, it's not plausible. Big Mike is a fictional character.
6: As I dug further into Vaughn's confessions, it was not at all the story I was expecting. But I did discover what I suspect is the reason why authorities wanted to keep this case quiet for so long. Next time on Algorithm.
9: Be it from the organic injury or something he had convinced himself, there were episodes in Darren's life that he remembered completely different than what we had credible evidence for.
7: I all went back out of control again. I never made it back. Once you... I don't know how to explain this to y'all because y'all don't have the same hurt. Once you start killing again... Now when you say abusive, like verbally abusive, physically I abusive... I don't recall all the different incidents, but yeah. I know she was. Actually, without her, y'all would probably caught me years ago.
6: This episode was written and produced by me, Ben Kibrick. Algorithm is executive produced by Alex Williams, Donald Albright, and Matt Frederick. Production assistance and mixing by Eric Quintana. The music is by Makeup and Vanity Set and Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks to Christina Dana, Miranda Hawkins, Jamie Albright, Rima Elkayali, Trevor Young, and Josh Thane for their help and notes. And thanks for listening. This story is only gonna keep getting crazier and soon I'm gonna need y'all to help me solve some of the mysteries regarding this case. Please help spread the word about this podcast, especially if you have any friends in Indiana, Illinois, or Texas. I hope that through this podcast, we can shed some light on some really important issues and maybe even bring justice and closure to additional victims. If you do have any information about Big E, Darren Vaughn, or crimes that you think might be related, Or if you just have questions you want addressed on the podcast, please call and leave me a voicemail with your contact information at 888-501-3309. That's 888-501-3309. Or you can also reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Ben underscore keybrick. That's B-E-N underscore K-U-E-B-R-I-C-H. Thanks.